Thank you, Randy. It probably seems a bit like we're jumping around in sermons, and we kind of are. Uh, But if you remember, back before Christmas, I was preaching in Genesis. It did happen. I know it's been a while. But at some point before Christmas season, I was in Genesis, and we had basically talked through the creation story, and we had spent a few weeks talking about what it meant for man to be created in God's image. And so we've basically covered the entirety of Genesis 1 and a chunk of Genesis 2. And so this morning we're back in there. And so that's why we are where we're at. Um, And so I hope to spend a few weeks here in Genesis 2 and 3 before again picking up and talking and preaching about evangelism in the weeks leading up to Christianity Explored. So if you're there, Genesis chapter 2 starting in verse 18 this morning. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called them, every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. Let's ask God to bless our time together this morning. Father, we are mindful of our need for you and your spirit's help this morning we pray that he would come and he would help us to know you love you worship you more this morning and that we would know our sin and know our savior amen marriage is a foundation to the world and it's something that we tend to think we know a lot about because it's been going on for thousands of years. Um, But it's something that kind of ebbs and flows in the history of the world, whether we know about it or not know about it, less or more. And I would say at this point, we're at a pretty low point regarding marriage. And I don't think you could disagree with me. I was looking up some statistics, and uh, if you look at the married rate of single adults, so 18 to still alive, all adults. 22% of the single adults in the United States were unmarried in 1950. 22%, so a little less than a quarter. Does anyone want to guess? Daryl, you're not allowed to, uh, because he saw the statistic this morning. Does anyone want to guess the rate at which people are unmarried if they're an adult today, 18 to however old you, people are still living. 
You think it's higher? Yeah. It's 50% of adult people in the United States are single. It was 22% 70 years ago. We have more than doubled the rate of singleness in the United States. Now, there's lots of reasons for that. Lots of reasons for that. One of them is the ready access to birth control and the sexual revolutions of the 60s and 70s. If you detach childbearing from the act of sex, you have a lot more single people. Because even though shotgun weddings are not good in one sense, they did create marriages and families. And many of those marriages and families were good, even though they were born out of bad circumstances. In fact, uh, in just a few weeks, uh, the Helpful Marriage Conference is going to happen. Tim and Mary Lee Bailey. Tim and Mary Lee were pregnant, out of wedlock, the son and daughter of very prominent evangelical leaders in Wheaton, Illinois. And now they have five grown children who are Christians and are raising Christian families. They have 29 grandkids, I think, and he's been the pastor, faithful pastor of a church for 40 years. God brings goodness out of really bad circumstances. And to show you how little we care about that sort of thing, I was at a, uh, a meeting about two weeks ago with... Uh, the mayor and the other pastors here in town. So there were, I think, 12 other pastors represented, and, and a couple other churches represented. The pastors weren't there, but they were represented at the council. And so we talked about some things, and then I said, you know, are we doing anything to bring a pregnancy center here to town? We're a town of 17,000 people. A pregnancy center is basically the idea of giving help to pregnant women who need help either because they're young or they already have things going on in their lives that makes having another child difficult, those women are vulnerable to abortion, right? And you could have heard a pin drop when I asked that question amongst those pastors. None of them made eye contact with me. None of them said yes. The only person who reacted in that room was the Catholic lady from St. Joe's who went, yes, thank you. And so I said, well, since we have some feedback, none of the pastors wanted to talk about it. Because what does it imply? What does it imply if we have to have a pregnancy center in town? That people are actually getting pregnant and are not married. Or if they are married, they're poor and they need help. And what does it also imply? It implies that we ignore the problem that women who are vulnerable in Jasper drive to Bloomington to have abortions. We just ignore it. We pretend like it just doesn't happen. That's all the same stuff. We, we tend to make things like abortion political and divorce not political. And we tend to make things like singleness not political. But we're talking about spiritual stuff here. We're not talking about politics. We're talking about why are we the way we are spiritually in this country. And it has nothing to do with politics. We have a spiritual problem. And the spiritual problem is we don't like Marriage. And we don't like marriage for a lot of reasons. Marriage is hard. The curse made it hard. Marriage is for an end, a reason, and that reason, one of them being godly children, 
right? So marriage has three purposes, companionship, fellowship, children, godly seed, and protection from sexual sin. Those are the three purposes of marriage given in Scripture. And we don't like really any of those things about marriage. We like free love. We like to have sex with who we want to have sex with. We don't like children, as we have went over pretty extensively a few weeks ago. And we don't really like the fellowship that a spouse brings, that a wife brings to her husband. We don't like it. And how do I know we don't like it? Another few statistics for you. Um, the rate of pet ownership in the United States. So as the singles rate has gone through the roof, the rate of what has gone through the roof? Pet ownership. Why, why did that happen? We have lost companionship as part And there are reasons to have animals, but what has happened, which cannot be denied, is we have elevated pets to the point that they are spouses and children. They have replaced marriage in many, many cases. How do I know this? How do I know this for sure? Take a scroll through my Facebook feed sometime and all the single friends that I have that are my age, and you will see that the common denominator in all of them is they have pets, and they do things with their pets, and they don't do things with people. They don't do things with people. This is a problem. It's an old, old problem. Adam did not, was not susceptible to this problem. When, when God created Adam, and he brought the animals to Adam for him to name, it says a suitable helper for him could not be found. Adam knew, and God knew, that none of these animals, none of the created stuff, could ever actually help Adam. They were not there to be helpers. They are the created stuff that Adam is meant to subdue. Right? They are the stuff that Adam is meant to rule over. No suitable helper was found for him. And then Eve is made. And it's like this breath, this wind... This unbelievable moment happens, and he says, At last, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And we don't have any of that today. We have romantic love, infatuation, lusty sort of infatuation, but we don't have that. We don't have it. And we know it because this is the way we treat marriage in our day. I'm going to give you, right at the nub of it, and it makes me uncomfortable to do it because I don't want to say it, but it's just true. Are there any of us, any of us in this room, including me, who encourage people to get married young and have children? And when I say young, I mean like 18 None of us. And in fact, I would say, if any of us were asked by an 18-year-old if they should get married, most of us, probably all of us, would say no. Right? Am I exaggerating the point? We don't like marriage. We don't like it. Not society, not the people who are single. We don't like it. We think everything else is the more important thing. Career. Education. 
advancement, money, house, stability. We don't just sort of half believe that. That is the mantra that we preach to ourselves all the time. Now think for a moment about one of the most spectacular, not one of the most, the most spectacular birth in the history of the world. A young girl named Mary, who was probably about 16. And a young man named Joseph, who was probably in his 20s. And we don't tend to think about it or talk about it because it's really uncomfortable for us to think and talk about it. But they went back to where for the census? Bethlehem, the town of David, where they were from and could not find anywhere to have for the night. Do you think they just ran out of relatives in that town? Do you think it was just happenstance that they all, all the other people that they knew in that town happened to be gone for the census? We have always despised families, marriage, and young people because we think, even though we have experienced differently, we think getting married young and having kids will wreck your life. We tell people this. I've told people this. You have told people this. You, you don't want to get married. You, you won't, you'll, you'll have the, you don't want to get married yet. Da, da, da. The point of Eve, the point of Eve was marriage. The whole point. Right? So after Eve is created, verse 24 of chapter 2, therefore, therefore, Eve is created, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The creation of Eve was so that we would know to get married. We spend a lot of time, a lot of time, way too much time, figuring out how women can be helpers to men that isn't marriage and children. That's all we talk about. That's all we want to hear about. How can a woman be a helper outside the home? How can she be equal in the workforce? How can she have the same pay and the same job? And da, 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 and da, 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 da. All fine questions except for this problem, this blazing middle problem. We just don't like marriage and children. The reason we ask all those questions isn't because we really care to find out. It's so that we can avoid the elephant in the room, which is we don't like to get married and have children. We just don't like it. And yet, marriage and children is the essential, main purpose of Adam and Eve. Therefore, a man shall leave and shall be with his wife and they shall become one flesh. And what happens when two men, or when two people, a man and a woman, are married and become one flesh? What's the result of one fleshness? Babies. Babies are the result of one fleshness. It's not rocket science. And I think one of the reasons, not the only reason, but I think a big reason why we don't like marriage and we don't like families 
And we don't like the implication that that is actually one of the main things we're supposed to do in life. Is because marriage is not built for itself. Okay? There's something beneath earthly marriage. More true, more sure, more absolute. This is Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, and having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What is the real reason we have a problem with marriage? We don't like the marriage of the Lamb to his church. Because when we get married to Christ in the church, when we're united with him in love, what does he do to us? What happens in the marriage of the church to Christ? We just read it. So that he might sanctify her. And cleanse her by the washing of water with the word, so he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We don't like the marriage of the son to the church, the lamb to his bride, because we like our blemishes. We like the dark spots that are part of us. We like the things that lay hidden beneath the surface. And so the reason we don't like earthly marriage is because we don't like heavenly marriage. Because earthly marriage is supposed to do the same thing. Earthly marriage is supposed to be purifying, sanctifying, washing. We don't like to be bathed. We're like little children running around, getting dirty, loving the mud. Pretending like we don't stink. And we do. We need the bridegroom to come and wash us. And we need marriage. Marriage is the most glorious thing on this earth. Because it represents to us the final glory of heaven. This is Revelation, the end, right? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Or maybe this. Then I heard what seemed to the voice be the voice of the great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We have a problem. And it's a spiritual problem, as it always is. We have to... Pursue our bridegroom, Christ, and let him wash us. And in doing so, we will realize that marriage is the crown jewel of creation. It is the final, ultimate act of God before he rests. It is the most important thing that happened in those six days. It's more important than light. It's more important than land. It's more important than food. The whole of creation was leading up to this ultimate act of God to create Eve and to make marriage the institution by which God would save the world. Think about it. When the curse comes and God says, there will be one, your, your seed will war with his seed, this is the serpent, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It was her seed. Her seed. Not Adam's seed, Eve's seed. And so this is what happened. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Why would she say that? She had a baby. She hopes that he will save the world. And then does Cain save the world? No, Cain kills his brother. Cain is not the savior. And so at the end of the chapter 4 of Genesis, and Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said... God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. God has given me another offspring to save us. So this offspring of Seth saves the world. And you can trace the lineage of Jesus all the way back. Luke does that. He traces the lineage of Jesus all the way back to Seth and Adam, the son of God. And then all the way through, whoever you want to name, wherever they're at in the lineage of Jesus... Marriage, childbearing, it was the way God saved the world and God, the way God intended to save the world. And the whole point, this is the way we subdue the world. We save it. We save it. We keep it. We redeem it. And we do it through marriage and children. Now, I realize there are single people here, some older ones, some a little bit younger. This doesn't mean that everyone in the world must be married. This doesn't mean everyone in the world must bear children. 
It does mean that, especially for those of you who are single, that you should not say to someone, singleness is the best thing in the world. You should say, marriage was what God made in the garden. And if you can find a wife, you can find a husband, you should get married. That's what Paul said. So in the, in the famous chapter where we think Paul says that singleness is the best thing in the world, it's only good, it's only good if you have self-control. It's only good if you have self-control. Um, he says this, now as a concession, not a command, this is 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am. How is he? He's single, right? But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. That the only way that singleness is good is if you can remain pure. And if you can't remain pure, you are not supposed to be single. Um, You should pursue marriage. And so even though everyone likes to quote Paul that singleness is the way of the world and that you can dedicate your whole self to the church, the reality is most people, for whatever reasons, good, bad, indifferent, it doesn't matter, don't have the self-control that it takes. And it's called, right here, a gift. Paul says, I wish everyone had the gift that I have, which is self-control. And so, singleness is the exception to the rule. It's a gift to God's church to have single people. It's the regular gift of God to his church to have married people. And this is one of the things that is very difficult to talk about, think about, And I talked earlier and I said that none of us like young marriages, lots of kids. And I think that's true. None of us do like that. But something struck me. I don't know exactly when. I was talking about it with my wife last night. Maybe 10 years ago, I started to notice this pattern in old people. And I mean anybody over 70. So however you want to count yourself this morning. (laughs) Almost everyone who is old and has raised children and has grandchildren. We'll put it that way. They will talk about the past in this strange way. And they will say things like, oh, it's so hard. We didn't know if we were going to make it. We almost lost the house. We couldn't find bread. We were paying in pennies for groceries. The car was dead and we didn't know how to fix it. And then they'll say these other things like, and that was the sweetest time of our lives. That was when we really knew God was with us. You know this to be true because you, if you're old, think this way. You think the hard times, though they were hard, were actually good. They helped you. You became dependent upon the God of all glory. Now, I say we don't like to tell people to get married young and have kids. Wouldn't we like to give them the gift of depending on the Lord for all things, all the time, their entire lives? The gift of going, 
you know, you guys got married at 18 and you got pregnant a month later. And you were not sure if you were going to make it six months, let alone 60 years. And look at how God has been faithful to you. Isn't that a much better story than, I went to college and I dated a girl and we got engaged and then we broke up. And then I dated a few more girls in between and then finally at the age of 29 got married and started having children and now have five. I'll tell you this, that's my story. I would take a decade of hardship for more kids and a, and a wife that I've been married to 10 years longer. I would trade that any day of the week to be married to Sarah 10 more years and to have five more kids. I'd trade that decade of my 20s in an instant, the good and the bad. We need to have faith for this, and it is a hard thing to have faith for. Every part of us wants to say that's a, that's a ridiculous notion. But God made Eve to show us that marriage is the purpose. God is good. He doesn't lie. He provides for his people. Let's have faith to not just encourage marriage and families, but to encourage them young to say, no, you know what? It's going to be hard if you get married now. And God will reward you if you get married now. We can say both things. It's going to be hard. It will be terribly hard. God is good. He'll provide for you. You'll make it. Not because you're some great person who can make it through any trial, but because you have God on your side, and God will provide. I don't know... All the reasons that we as a church and as a society have rejected this idea. But I do know that it's just been growing and growing for a couple of centuries. The average age of marriage is now, for both sexes, both male and female, is about 30 years of age in the United States. First time marriage, 30 years. I'm no biologist or doctor, but you are fast approaching the end of childbearing age at 30. Your most productive years, biologically speaking, to have children, and Anna, you can shake your head yes or no, are your 20s. Your body's young, it can fix itself a lot faster, you have less problems and complications in pregnancy. It's just biologically true. It's just fact. We know it. In fact, since my wife will turn 35, sorry to give your age out, the, the reality is if she gets pregnant again, no matter how healthy she is, it doesn't matter if she is the healthiest 35-year-old in the entire world, she will be Period, because she has turned 35 a high-risk pregnancy. Period. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're the most healthy 35-year-old or the least healthy 35-year-old. We know, statistically, around the age of 35, 
your body starts to have more problems having children. So if for no other reason than just pure statistics, we should encourage our children to get married young and have their children in their 20s. If for no other reason than we just want them to have healthy children and to be healthy themselves. If we're just pure scientific about it. Because science, it turns out, is God's invention. (laughs) And he said, marriage is good. Therefore a man shall leave and cling and become one flesh. Now I'm saying all of this. And we don't have anybody in our church really that this applies to directly. We have a few getting there in a few years. I'm saying this to you. I'm preaching this message Because Lord willing, even though sometimes I find it hard to believe and hope for, God will give us young families and young people in our church again. And I want you, I want you to tell them not only is it okay for them to be married and have children, but it's good for them to be married and have children. And then tell them the hard things. Tell them all the hard things. Tell them the worst of the worst. Tell them of the hunger, the money, the housing, the death, whatever it is. Tell them all of it. And then, because you're here, and say, but look, God has been faithful to me. And even in the hardest and the darkest of those moments, God was good. And encouraged those young families who I believe God will give us to be faithful, to be faithful. This is the counterculture revolution that the church has always been built on. We're studying Exodus on Wednesdays. There's this, to me, I think, hilarious theme of Exodus in the early chapters and then after the 40 years, and it's this. The Israelites just had a ton of babies. Just had a ton of marriages. And it was so many and so great and at so rapid a pace that the Egyptians were afraid of them. Afraid. One of the mightiest nations in the world feared a tribe because they just had a ton of kids. Just marriages all the time. Babies all the time. Wouldn't that be something? That instead of having to win at politics and win the latest courtroom battle at the Supreme Court, what if instead we just had a generation that outgrew and outpaced everyone else and they loved the Lord? And then there wasn't anything to do, but either the government hated them and feared them and tried to put them to death, or we healed the world. There are lots of reasons why marriage is good. Lots of reasons that God has made it good. And so I hope, I hope that we will see it. And I hope that we will have faith even against our own doubts about the subject. And say to people, Do you love the Lord? Are you getting married in the Lord? Then by golly, let's get you two hitched. Let's start having some children. Let's believe and hope for the best. 
right? Okay, I've said enough this morning. Probably too much. It's usually the way it is. Can I just say this, though? It's been a year and a half since I was installed here. And on Friday, uh, Max Carell, you you may remember Max, a bigger guy. He's been here and preached once. Um, Max Carell and one of the pastor's college students, Daniel Coughlin, was down to see me. Um, And I want you to know that I just bragged about you a whole bunch. I just love you. I just love you. And I love you more each week. And I, I just, every, you know, every ten minutes or so, I don't, here's this other thing that happened. That's what I would say. Isn't that just awesome? Isn't that incredible? Can you believe that that happened? Can you believe they said that? Can you believe they did that? And then we would talk, and I'd moan about some things that I'm always moaning about. And then I'd go, and here's another thing. And so literally, walking out to the car, I was like, let me walk you out. And then walking out of the car, I was like, oh, here's one more. (laughs) Here's one more thing. I love you. I just love you. And I want us to be a church that loves the Lord together. And I, I think we are. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad for it. Listen, the sermons that I preach sometimes... I hope you know they're hard for me to preach because some of the things, like this morning, some of the things I said would be most unwelcome in many churches. Most unwelcome. Just like me bringing up a pregnancy center to a room of pastors made them uncomfortable because it would, it's the elephant in the room. They know that girls are having sex and getting pregnant and somehow not having children. But they're just not going to do anything. You're not like that. You let me bring elephants out of the closet. And then, by God's grace, we will walk. We will walk together to the end. And so I I preach these sermons, not because I think, like, boy, it's just the funnest thing in the world to talk about these things. It's because I love you, and I see God at work in you. I really do. really do. Let's stand this morning. We're going to we're going to pray and sing and we're going to trust God.